Well, the book of Philemon, it's been, it's been a little while since we've been back in it, but um, uh, we, we know it's a small book in the New Testament, not very large. It's easy to look over. It's not a grand theological treatise like the book of Romans. It's not a 150-chapter uh, book with poetry and, 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 and poems and songs like the book of Psalms. It's, uh, it's, not, it's, not about, it's not exciting and about future things like the book of Revelation. It's, um, it's, it's one page. Uh, 25 verses, 332 Greek words. That is a random piece of Bible trivia for you, by the way. Um, 332 Greek words in the book of Philemon. However, uh, we believe that all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we have the privilege today to dig deep into God's word. And so we don't take that lightly. We love God's word. We want to learn about him, what he wants from us in our life. So we're going to look at the book of Philemon once again. If you remember from last time, a bit of the context once again, it has been a little while. Uh, Paul wrote three books while he was in prison. Another bit of Bible trivia for you. He wrote Colossians, Ephesians, okay, during this time, Colossians, Ephesians, and the book of Philemon, all right? And Philemon is the personal letter of those three that he wrote at this time, and he handed those letters to a dude named Tychicus, which is how you pronounce it, and then a guy named Juanissimus uh, to send to those three places, first to Colossae, then to Ephesus, then to this guy named Philemon. And the relationship between Philemon and Juanissimus is what this book, the book of Philemon, is all about, right? Philemon being a master, and Juanissimus being a slave. And actually, uh, Philemon was led to Christ by Paul, right? And, and, he, and he grew in his faith pretty quickly. He, uh, in fact, in his home, a gathering, a church gathering met in his home. And, and, and he was ministering alongside the apostle Paul. Uh, he was growing in his faith rapidly. However, um, he had slaves. It was a reality of the day, people owned slaves. And Philemon, was, he was a wealthy person. Again, he had a large enough home to, 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 to have a gathering gather there, and uh, he also um, had slaves. One of those slaves' name was Juanissimus. And Juanissimus was not a follower of Jesus Christ. And side note, I know that we discussed this a bit last time, but uh, I know when we think of slavery, uh, we, we, we have um, a Western society, especially in the United States, we, we have that in mind generally. Um, and in Greco-Roman times, slavery was a bit different. Um, obviously, brutal, not a good thing, right? Not a good thing, slavery was. However, uh, there were many occasions where there were good families that owned slaves. Uh, and in fact, sometimes someone would choose to be a slave because their free life ain't going so hot. So instead of being homeless on the streets, they would come under a family that would treat them well, they'd be housed, uh, they'd be fed, right, and they, they would work for them for their whole life, right, so they, they would become a slave. Uh, sometimes people would become a slave not for ethnic reasons, uh, but financial reasons. Uh, they, they, were in debt, they were in debt to someone financially. They couldn't pay them back, so they would come under them as a slave for however long that would take to pay back that debt, right, so that, that little, little context about slavery itself, but anywho, Juanissimus ran away from Philemon. He said, peace, I'm out of here. So he left, 
And many scholars believe he actually stole from Philemon as well. So he, he left and, and stole from Philemon, and he left to the city of Rome, probably to hide among the masses, right? Just like you all do sometimes when you're sleeping. You think, well, there's a lot of people here. I can't see you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, uh, he was hiding among the masses in Rome, but luckily enough, uh, not luckily enough, God's providence at work in Rome, he runs into the Apostle Paul. And we know the Apostle Paul, he's crazy about Jesus, so he starts spatting off about the gospel uh, to Juanissimus. Uh, and not only did he lead the master Philemon to Christ, but then he eventually led Juanissimus, the slave, to Christ in the city of Rome. And during that time, Paul is arrested. And Paul's arrested, now he's in Roman prison. And in Roman prison, the discipleship between Juanissimus and Paul is still, they're still engaged in discipleship. Juanissimus is coming to prison, learning from Paul, having discussions with Paul. They become co-workers in the faith. All right. And then in their discussion, in his growth, Paul says, hey, uh, you need to go back to Juanissimus and you need, you need to seek forgiveness. You need to seek forgiveness. So that's where we are. Juanissimus goes off to those two churches with this guy named Tychicus. And then, of course, you, uh, to see Philemon, where Juanissimus will need to confront his master for the very first time since he ran away. And that's the scene here. So, so you can keep that picture in your mind. The men get to Philemon. Philemon sees his former slave who stole from him and ran away, but then he is now handed a letter from Paul. And this letter, the content of the letter is a motivation for Philemon to forgive and receive back Juanissimus. And today we're going to cover the appeal or the actual request from Paul to uh, Philemon. And these verses read like this. We're going to read again. Philemon 8 through 16. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Juanissimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Uh, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I, I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So you remember the first seven verses? The first seven verses, we, we answered the question, why forgive? Because what Paul was doing was preparing Philemon to receive his request, his appeal to forgive. And so he reminds him first of the mercy of God, the grace of God, that God is a forgiving God, and also reminds him of who he is based on who God is, that he's forgiven, that he's loved, by, and he's received the grace of God, right? And also that you have a shared faith with those that belong to God, right? You're a brother in the faith. And therefore, he's preparing him to forgive by reminding him of those things. And we learned that why should we forgive? Uh, we should forgive first 
because God is a God of forgiveness. Second, because we have been forgiven by him. And thirdly, because our shared faith and unity. And we know that the basis of uh, the actual appeal is based on the first seven verses because uh, our text starts with the word accordingly. In some versions, therefore. And we all know that if there's a therefore, you gotta ask, what is it? Oh, yes, wow. Therefore, what is it therefore? Exactly. And it's therefore because he's building an argument here uh, in order to bring that appeal before him. All right, so because God is a God of forgiveness, you have been forgiven by him, you share in faith with uh, Onesimus, therefore consider uh, forgiving your former slave, Onesimus. And so now we're gonna get into the actual request, the actual request that Paul has for Philemon. And what we're gonna see today are, we're gonna see qualities of true forgiveness, qualities of true forgiveness. So last time, we answered the question, why forgive? This time, we're gonna see what does forgiveness, true forgiveness, consist of? What are qualities of true forgiveness? And admittedly, I'm gonna admit it here, um, the book of Philemon is all about motivation to forgive. So what's gonna be trickled throughout today and the next time I speak, it's gonna be motivation, right, to forgive. So you, we're gonna see that uh, come in and it's gonna be in play a few times as we go through the book. Uh, however, uh, the, the meat of this sermon today is what are qualities of true forgiveness? Qualities of true forgiveness. Because Philemon, I'm sorry, Paul wants Philemon to fulfill this request. Not because, and this is, this is one of the main points of the text, not because he's been ordered to do so, but because Philemon has shown himself to be someone that cares about the people of God, someone that loves the people of God, and someone that loves God. So Paul appeals to Philemon to do this thing on the basis of love. And that's the first quality that we're gonna see here of true forgiveness. Forgiveness comes from a heart of love. Forgiveness comes from a heart of love. I get this from verses eight and nine, if you have your Bibles open. We're really gonna be reading through um, the text, like straight through. So having your Bibles open in front of you, I think is a helpful thing. It's also up on the screen. Verses eight and nine. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Two things I want us to notice here. And the first, two things that aren't mentioned yet that I want us to notice. First, Paul hasn't mentioned the name Juanissimus yet. He hasn't mentioned uh, who he is appealing for. And secondly, he hasn't mentioned the circumstance, right? He hasn't mentioned any of that. He hasn't mentioned the person and he hasn't mentioned the circumstance. But he has mentioned that whatever he's about to appeal for, right, is based on love. It's not based on the person of Juanissimus, and it's not based on the situation he finds himself in. He bases this appeal to forgive on love because the quality of the person, the severity of the offense, or any feelings of offense are secondary to our walking in obedience by extending the love of Jesus Christ to others. So there shouldn't be a problem for Philemon uh, to forgive Juanissimus because his reference isn't the person. And it isn't the fact that it's his faith. 
And it isn't the situation, but, but it is his faith and love in Jesus Christ. That's primary here. Before anything else, before one SMS, before the situation, the primary basis for this appeal to forgive is on love, his love for Jesus Christ and his love for the brethren. And Paul mentions that he could command Philemon to do this. He could, uh, because he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has that authority to do so. Uh, in fact, in other letters, he does that, right? He does that. He says, listen, I, I, I'm an authority figure. Christ has given me this authority, and he's told me to tell you to do this thing. And because Christ has given me that authority, you need to do it. He's done that before. But here, he's doing something different. He's appealing his he is basing his appeal on love. Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do it, what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Boldness would be more aggressive. And that would actually be pretty befitting of the situation. You have a master and a slave. It's a pretty serious thing, right? They're not acting like brothers in Christ. One is, one is maybe worried about coming to one because he's worried, oh, I, I'm not going to be forgiven, right? It's a pretty serious situation. However, a, the Apostle Paul reaches for a longer, sharper dagger. He reaches for something more effective, and that is love. Love becomes the basis of Paul's appeal to release and to forgive Onesimus. Now, it's what Philemon ought to do, but mere moral ought isn't deeply persuasive or sustaining enough. Philemon might meet every ought with, with an alternative, oh, but it's my right to do what I please with Onesimus. But who can meet love with insistence on personal rights? Who can respond to love from a dear friend with a hard and stony heart? The answer is not the Christian. And so love becomes the apostle's trump card, not authority. Paul sets aside, and this is, this is what's important here. Paul is setting aside his own apostolic authority, his right to rule over Philemon in favor of love, so that Philemon might set aside his authority to own and order, order Onesimus to be set free or, or to be forgiven. And only love could be so efficient. Only love could be so disarming on the one hand and completely effective on the other. And, and it isn't any wonder that God is love. God is love. And that we should be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love is that most godlike attribute with the most explosive quality, which is why it never fails, but abides as the greatest. And we are to love like God today. Set aside a right and undermine a wrong with love. Consider Jesus who though he was in very nature God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation and took on our nature. Then in love he undermined all the wrong of our sin, all the schemes of the devil, all the claims of death, and all the chaos of a fallen cosmos by taking our place on the cross, dying our death, and rising for our life and for his eternal glory. There's never been a love that, that simultaneously undermined so much wrong and at the same time established so much life. And that's what Christ has done for you and me. So the first quality of true forgiveness is that it's based on love. 
It comes from a heart of love as we reflect the love of God to us. But also, number two, forgiveness receives the forgiven. Forgiveness fully receives the forgiven. And now in verse 10, we're going to see truly the meat of the request. And now he's going to mention Onesimus' name. Paul says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. And remember that Paul is the spiritual father of Onesimus, and so, so was Philemon. So, th- so this hit home for Philemon, right? Because Philemon led, uh, Paul led Philemon to Christ, and he also led Onesimus uh, to Christ as well. He, he's my son in the faith, Paul is saying. Just like Timothy, like Titus, like so many others, he is now one of them. And on that basis, on that truth, another motivation for Philemon to forgive, on that truth, receive him back. Something interesting happens here because in verses one through seven, we learned last time that Paul describes, he reminds Philemon of who he is, right, in order to give him motivation to forgive, right? He reminds him of who God is first, then who he is based on who God is, right? And that's, that's really the foundation of the appeal. But now he's going to describe Onesimus. Because not only should our motivation to forgive be based on the character of God, our identity in that God, but also on the God-given value that he's given to the one that has wronged us. So, so Paul's going to describe who Onesimus is here. And first, we see that Onesimus, a description that Paul gives for Onesimus, is repentant. He's repentant. And we see that in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Um, Repentance is implied here uh, because Onesimus has become a child of the faith and he's standing in front of Philemon. Uh, He did the most dangerous thing. He he came back to his master who has the right politically to, to kill him, right? So he came back to him. He came back humbly to face the man he had wronged. And this is true repentance. It's not just saying the words, but it's, it's actually doing something. Uh, remember uh, what John the Baptist said uh, to the Pharisees and scribes in Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. It means show that you are repentant. Don't just say it. Words are empty without action. And so Juanissimus went back. Again, this could have cost him his life. He could have died. But, but he did what was right. So Paul says, I'm asking you to open your arms, receive him back, uh, because he is repentant. He's your brother. Embrace him. Well, not only is he repentant, uh, but Juanissimus has been transformed. He's been transformed. Verse, verse 11 states this. Formerly, he was useless to you, But now he is indeed useful to me and to you. He says, you're not getting the same person uh, you lost. He has changed. He's not the same guy. Uh, By the way, there's a a play on words here um, that's that's fascinating. But uh, the name Juanissimus in Greek means useful. (laughs) It it, it is. No, no, no. It it makes it giggle. Yeah, it, um, it, it means useful. So actually... Um, it was a common name for a slave, Juanissimus. It's like, oh, he's useful, right? It was a common name. But it, so it's not his real name, probably, but it's sort of become his name. 
what everyone calls him. He's Onesimus. So really, really the text kind of reads like this. Formally, <clears throat> formally, useful was useless to you, but now useful is useful to you and me. That's, that's kind of how it reads. And it's amazing here because of why he's useful. Uh, he's useful now because of the transforming, saving grace of God. He's not the same man, he's different, which is why we can say maybe we're not who we should be, but by his grace, by his mercy, we're not who we were. He's different. He's coming back a different servant. He's going to serve now as if he were serving the Lord. He's a transformed man. He's now useful. He's actually living up to his name. He's useful. Uh, Paul says, I've seen his usefulness, and now you're going to see it too, Philemon. So he's repentant. He's transformed. Uh, but Juanissimus is also proven faithful. Proven faithful. Verse 12, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So clearly, this was painful for Paul. Uh, even though this was the right thing to do, even though Paul knew that reconciliation and restoration of the relationship was essential, it's what they needed, it's what the church needed, Paul says, this is cutting me. It's difficult. He's saying, Juanissimus and I have, have, a, have a close connection. I, I've opened my arms. I've taken him in. I'm telling you, he's a great man. And in sending him to you, I need you to know of the great value he has to me. And then listen to the subtle note in verse 13. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. He essentially says here, Philemon, I know you would want to be here to minister with me. I know your heart of love. I know you wish you could be here. And, and, I, and I thought having Juanissimus would be just like having you here since you are unable to be here. I, I really want him to stay. And then verse 14, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. In other words, I know you would have loved to leave him here to help me in my imprisonment, but I wouldn't do that without your permission. I didn't want you to be good because you didn't have a choice. I wanted you to be good because you had a choice. I want you to show love and do good on your own free will. The point is, Juanissimus has great value to Paul. And he's been faithful to the gospel. And it's all of this combined, his, his repentant heart, his transformed life, and the value he has for, for the faith. That is why Philemon should forgive and it's important for us to keep this in mind as we face conflict, the, the God-given value he's given to the one we are in conflict with. God is working in their life. We don't know in what ways God is working in their life. It could be that God is using this very conflict to do something amazing in their life. And you forgiving them is going to unleash his grace and mercy on their life. We don't, we, we're, we don't know that. And so, so Paul's reminding him of who Juanissimus is in order to motivate him further to Forgive. Uh, forgiveness starts, this is the beginning of forgiveness, by opening up your life and letting the person back in. It starts with reception, uh, being willing to receive the person who is asking forgiveness, saying yes with open arms to their repentance and genuine ask for forgiveness. So that's number two. 
Forgiveness fully receives the forgiven. Thirdly here, forgiveness restores the forgiven. Forgiveness restores the forgiven. Paul suggests to Philemon that not only should you open your arms and take him back because he's worth loving, but you need to put him back into service. Uh, We've noticed here, uh, well, you need to put him back into function and ministry as well. Um, He should be restored. And we've noticed in the book of Philemon, we've noticed of Paul in general, that he always has the mission of God in mind, right? And and, and he's reminded him on several occasions, you're a brother in Christ, so is Onesimus, you're on the same mission for the gospel together. And this, this is a big deal for Paul, right? You're on the same mission for the gospel. And so you need to work this out so that you can get cracking on the mission together. Um, I had a, um, I went to Moody by Winston in Chicago. I played basketball. Um, I, whenever I tell people I play college basketball, I always want to be like, slow down. Doesn't mean it's not a big deal. It's a very small school. You can tell by my stature. Wasn't that impressive. Anyways. So, we all got to laugh, okay. Um, goodness gracious. But anyways, um, it, I, I, play, I play basketball, and my freshman and sophomore year, I had zero playing time. Uh, well, that's not true. I had like two minutes whenever we were getting crushed by 50, which was often. So I actually played um, uh, pretty often, but just about two minutes at a time. So, so, but my junior year was coming, and this was my time to shine. It was my time to shine. It was my time to, to, to start um, except uh, every, every, every year on Monday nights, um, we had open gyms. And that's when people can come and start playing basketball. And uh, coaches would come and see the lay of the land, see who's going to come out for the team. And I was going to come in. I was like, man, it's my year. I got this. I'm about to show these guys what's what. All right? Um, and then this guy, he's, uh, he looked like a basketball player, which was helpful. Um, and he talked, walked like a basketball player. You know, he just had the dress. He was tall. He was tall. Um, and all these things, and, and he came up, his name was Joe, he's a good friend of mine. Now he is, he wasn't then. Um, but but he, he, was, he was a really good basketball player, and uh, uh, I, I just thought to myself, please don't come out for the team, please don't come out for the team, please don't come out for the team. He came out for the team, so he came out for the team, and um, he made the team, and then uh, he took my place, and I wasn't a starter anymore my junior year. So, I hated this guy's guts so much. Um, I hated him every practice. It wasn't like a healthy, competitive thing. Uh, it was like, I want you to die. Um, it, it was, t- you know, it was, it was really, I, I, I hated him um, so much. So much so uh, that I actually started to talk about him behind his back to the other teammates. Um, and I, I truly, I, I really regret that. Uh, but, but that's what I did. And um, I'm not sure how divisive it was, but it was at least divisive for me and him. Right? Which, which is going to affect team chemistry for the goal. The goal is to win. <laughs> we didn't do much of that. But that's the goal, obviously. About halfway through the season, again, I'm in the midst of talking about him behind his back um, and all that, and about halfway through the season, um, we're, we're, we're playing a big game, um, and it's a big deal, and, and the coach, remember Joe is starting over me, the coach is listing out the, the starting lineup, and then he mentions my name instead of Joe. I was like, oh, the day has come. And, um, but what happened was, uh, was shocking to me at least, uh, Joe knew at least I'm pretty sure Joe knew what I was doing uh, behind his back, talking bad about him and not, not liking him too much. He came up to me uh, when, I, when I got on the court and he said, hey, whoever's on the floor, I got your back. And that did wonders. That changed my perspective for the rest of the year, changed my heart 
transformed me as far as being a team and having that chemistry. Still didn't win, but it was helpful, right? To, to, to have that same mission together. He was able to lay aside that offense for the greater mission of the team. And I think that's what Paul wants Philemon to do a bit here. He wants him to lay aside his rights, uh, his right to control Philemon, uh, his right to control uh, Onesimus, his right to even kill Onesimus, lay that aside for the greater mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness restores the forgiven. Verse 15, we're gonna read that now. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Paul here has a high view of God. He says, I'm not gonna lessen the guilt of Onesimus. Obviously, what he did was wrong. But I just want you to consider that maybe... God had a purpose in all of this. That even though man can't often see the works of God, maybe he actually is using this wrongdoing to produce good. Remember Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul's view is that God had this all planned out and under control. That yes, Onesimus left, but God brought him back better. And I love that phrase. He says, uh, he parted from you for a while that you should have him back forever. You lost a slave, Philemon, but through it you gained a brother. God uses evil for good. God allowed this to happen, and a temporary separation has now led to an eternal friendship. And I think that's another aspect that we need to keep in mind when forgiveness or conflict is at play that, man, we don't know how God is working. God can use this conflict to do amazing things. So respond in love, respond in obedience to forgive. Onesimus might go back to working for Philemon as his slave, but Paul wants him to know he's much more than a slave now. He's a beloved brother. Verse 16 no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul tells Philemon here, for me, he was a brother in the Lord. We are brothers, but to you, he's both a brother and your servant. He's coming back to you for that purpose, so restore him to that position. Open your heart to him, receive him, but also allow him to be restored. So what are the qualities of true forgiveness here? First, forgiveness comes from a heart of love. Second, forgiveness fully receives the forgiven. And thirdly, forgiveness restores the forgiven. I'm gonna ask the praise team to come up. Uh, Philemon is a tiny book. Um, It's often overlooked, but it is powerful with gospel truth. And it reminds us that only in Christ do we find our true selves, our true Identity. I want to go back to uh, the name Onesimus, uh, the name useful. Uh, the truth is, before Christ, we're all Onesimus. We're useless, right? We're all Onesimus before Christ. We were rebellious thieves and runaway slaves, deserving punishment for our sins. We, we feared returning home to our father and our master. We, we felt ashamed, worthless, and unloved, and in stepped in a substitute, one willing to take for us all the punishment we deserved, the Son of God took on flesh 
and paid the penalty we were due at the cross. He wiped the slate clean, clothed us with his righteousness, and allowed us to return home to the Father without fear and with full acceptance, covered by the perfect works of Christ. Uh, See, this letter furnishes us with um, one of the most really delightful pictures of the gospel. Like Onesimus, we have all wronged our rightful Lord and Master. We have misused his mercies, trampled on his grace, robbed him by pursuing our own selfish purposes, but the Lord Jesus paid all our debt, discharged every obligation to the broken law of God. Now we can come to the Father in his name, assured of a welcome, and knowing we won't only be forgiven, but also that we're now accepted in the beloved and brought into the very family of God. Therefore, it should be our ever happy privilege, as it is our great responsibility, to manifest the same grace to others that has been so graciously graciously lavished on us. Let's pray together.